Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Soulvox Radio presents Evolve with your host, Robin White Turtle Disney. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Disney. The show is Evolve, and I have a very special guest today, Barbara Han Clough who's an internationally acclaimed ceremonial teacher and the author of 15 nonfiction books, such as The Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awaken, Awakening the Planetary Mind, and The Mayan Code. She was the acquisitions editor for Bearing Company for 20 years, from 83 to 2000, and now she's writing fiction. The first book in her trilogy is Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, which came out in 2015, and the second book, Revelations of the Aquarian Age 2018 has just been released. Uh, her website, handclow2012.com. Great. So, Barbara, so wonderful to have you on my show. Thank you for uh, agreeing to be interviewed today. Well, thanks for finding me, especially since we both graduated with the same teacher, Matthew Fox. Yes, yeah, we, we have such a, a lot in common here. We <laughs> We uh, have, have this uh, base from Matt Fox's uh, Institute in Creation, in Culture and Creation Spirituality. Um, so, yeah, so tell me about your new book and how did you get to write fiction? I mean, this has been a long process for you from... Uh, yeah, Robert, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, this has been a big change, and as a matter of fact, a lot of my um, faithful fans have resisted it because I've written so much nonfiction. But I got to the point where I had brought in all of the nonfiction data that I really needed to bring in in this lifetime. And as you know from knowing some of my books, it's a pretty extensive data bank. Yeah. And so I reached kind of a crisis of creativity where I just didn't want to keep on talking about it over and over again. Instead, I wanted to find a more creative way to play with the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so fiction was the way to go. And so um, uh, 10 or 11 or 12 really intelligent, interesting, multi-dimensional characters all came to me um, one day in my writing room back in May of 2011. And the information was actually fairly urgent. I got out a um, yellow pad and a pen, and I wrote down their names, ages, uh, careers, professions, family background, um, and, and things they loved. And all of them came in except one. One of them came later as I was writing the first book. Um, that is Lorenzo Giannini, a Jungian analyst working, uh, practicing in Rome, came in. Uh-huh. And so... Um, they, these characters um, became vehicles for, for many, many levels of consciousness that I really could not bring in um, with nonfiction. So that's why I switched to fiction, and this is going to be a trilogy. The second book is out right now, and then the third one will come out probably in 2020. Ah, uh-huh. great, great. So it sounds like you're in process with uh, the, the uh, last book as well that you're working on now. Is that correct? Yeah, and if the readers take an interest in me or take an interest in the book, it would be wise to go back and get a copy of Ruby Crystal uh-huh. because that's the first book in the trilogy. Because in any trilogy, the first book is where the real fabric 
fabric of the characters' lives is introduced, and you get a real sense of them in the family context and in their lives. And then as you get into the second book, Revelations of the Aquarian Age, everything starts to speed up because mm -hmm. we already know them. Mm -hmm. Now, this book is a standalone book. It starts with an opening wedding where all of the characters who came up in the first book all appear in the same place. Mm -hmm. But even though you, you can read it as a standalone, and I encourage people to do that if they want to, if you really take an interest in this, you need that first book for that rich fabric. Yeah. And you, you have done, um, you're weaving in a lot of the knowledge that you've um given the world in all of your other books um so can you tell me a little bit tell the readers their listeners here a little bit more about uh that evolution because you've been you've been writing a long time and doing yeah. and gaining all this amazing knowledge um is that all i'm imagining woven into this uh throughout the trilogy Oh. Yeah, the knowledge is all woven in, but the difference with the trilogy, besides the creativity of many voices, is that the novel, the trilogy, is going to be covering 2011 through 2020 um, in terms of time. Uh -huh. And I, I picked this period of time psychically, to tell you the truth, uh -huh. um, because as an astrologer, we're moving out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And that actually occurs over a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. And so what I did psychically, really, more than astrological, is I picked the central vortex turning point, the central nexus of this switch of the ages. And at this point in 2018, seven years later, that has turned out to be really prophetic because mm -hmm. what happens when we go out of one age and go into the next one is all of the issues and creations of the old age are all processed and lots of stuff gets thrown out and lots of things transform into something new so that there's a space in our consciousness, in our collective mind for the age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And so when that occurs, Robin, it's very chaotic. Right. And as it turned out, I I nailed this on the head, like back in 2011, whoever thought Donald Trump would be president of the United States, and by his very nature, creating inherent chaos. Now, I don't want to judge him, that's not the point of what we're doing here, but certainly it's fair to say that he's creating plenty of chaos. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and yeah. then in that chaos uh, is going to come, is rising, really, a whole yeah. new energy from people that needs to be moving forward in the new age in this yeah yeah in this and what chaos does is it throws everybody into the pot you know in other words um when it's not chaotic a lot of people can kind of sit on the sidelines and just go out and have a nice lunch and forget the world if you know what i mean yeah. but when it gets chaotic uh, chaotic like this everybody gets thrown into the pot emotionally men mentally and spiritually mm -hmm. and that's what's happening right now and mm -hmm. so the book is really the background of the whole book is these characters coping even though in this case um i've said the book in Italy, in Tuscany, and Rome, mm -hmm. um, instead of like in the United States, because after all, the United States isn't the only place on the planet. Right. And the reason I, I said it in Rome um, and in Tuscany is because that is another um, kind of central organizing place of consciousness. Like as we switch through from one age to the other, like Rome is really critical because the Roman Catholic Church has been basically in control in Rome for at least 15, 1600 years. And so as we go through this transition, 
And the age of Pisces, by the way, was the age of organized religion. Mm. And as we go into the age of Aquarius, it's going to be the age of people being able to contact spirituality and subtle realms of consciousness themselves. Mm. And religions aren't going to go away. They're just going to transform into systems that make it more possible for us to reach levels individually instead of in terms of an organized religion. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's why Rome, that's why it's set in Rome. And I, when I was writing um, Ruby Crystal, of course, here I am as a psychic saying, this is the moment. And then there I sit, day after day, morning after morning, writing, writing, writing. And when Ratzinger um, stepped down and Francis came in, then I really knew that I had a trilogy. Yeah. Because when we saw something as unprecedented as a pope set, setting up, you know, stepping down, right. then you've really got something. Right. And, and Ratzinger was the one who... Uh, eliminated Matt Fox from the Catholic Church, which I think is so interesting. He was the one that was head of the, um, uh, what's it called, uh, the the board that uh, judges priests on whether they're viable or not. And um, it's the Inquisition's board, basically. It's, it's the same one that did yeah. the Inquisition. So, yeah. so it's very interesting that he stepped down and then here comes compassion. <laughs> And then also, whether you think Ratzinger was trying to do something regarding priestly sexual abuse or not, and whether you think Francis is at this moment, the point is that the issue within the church has been the, the crisis over priestly sexual abuse, um, and that is what is causing the uh, you know the Roman Catholic Church to go into a crisis of transformation uh, mm-hmm. because they have to transform, right. um, this, and they have to deal with this issue because families are just leaving in droves. Right. And, and that's one of the things that inspired this trilogy, by the way, is that um, I, my family was Catholic, my husband and I and children, and we were also, as you know, a, a students of Matthew Fox. Right. And even though it's not easy to stay in the church <laughs> once you studied with Matthew Fox, I also can say that we had a crisis in our own parish over an abusing priest. Uh-huh. And so we're a good example of a family that we, we just, we had to leave the church because our children weren't safe and we knew it. Right. And the church is not going to be able to continue um, with that problem um, being front and center, which right. it still is. It hasn't gone away. Right. It's just right there moving into another um, form of some sort. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. So, so in Revelations, let's start with the beginning of your our trilogy here. In Revelation, mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away for people, but mm-hmm. in Revelations of the Ruby Crystal uh, that was published in 2015, this first part of the trilogy is, as you said, set in Rome, and then it's developing characters that are kind of unlocking uh new information for the new age is is that the gist of the book or let's well actually the backdrop of ruby crystal <coughs> excuse me is priestly sexual abuse mm. and one of the main characters um Simon Appel is a reporter for the New York Times and also for a few Italian papers, and he's an investigator of Ruby Chris of, of priestly sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And then there are other characters in the book who have had um, experiences with being abused, such as Armando Pierleoni, the painter. And so the backdrop of Revelations of the Ruby Crystal is priestly sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And that also turned out to be prophetic. Um, because it it isn't just about Catholics. It's the whole world has been appalled 
at contemplating um, the issue of children being abused within a spiritual um, institution. Mm -hmm. And so as it turned out, that was the perfect um, background issue for this trilogy. And of course, it's mostly developed in, in Ruby Crystal. As we get into Aquarian Age, there are other themes that are coming in really strong, such as the discovery of the Jesus family tomb in Jerusalem, and mm -hmm. also the issue of, of the background issue on Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. So the thematic issues are going to be different mm -hmm. with each, each book in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, so it sounds like uh, this book is really a good reflection of what we are living right now and living through and have been living through. Yeah, that, that's pretty true. And in my case, um, I'm a real lover of serious fiction. I love 19th century English fiction and French fiction. I just love good literature. And in really, really great novels, and in one of, one of my favorite um, writers is, is Anthony Trollope who wrote 40 novels in the 19th century. Uh -huh. And he, he cataloged the whole development of the English um, um, system as, as far as the uh, parliament and the kings and queens and all that stuff, politics. And in a really great novel, as far as I'm concerned, it also gives you the fabric of a period of time. Like, if I really want to understand a particular historical period, right. um, have you ever noticed that if you've been able to read a really good historical novel about that period, that it comes alive? It, it, it's like, no matter how many um, descriptions you read about the times and about the history, when it really comes alive is through fiction. Right. And so I'm a real believer in historical fiction. So this book is historical fiction. But what's interesting is it's historical fiction for the end of the age of Pisces and the beginning of the age of Aquarius. That's mm -hmm. a kind of different way mm -hmm. to choose a period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, and yet I, I think that this, this change of age, this particular one, is bigger than just a typical change of the ages every 2,000 years, um, and which is what goes on with the Great Ages. Um, I think this particular uh, transition into the age of Aquarius is an actual test of the viability of our species on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is what is especially important, and even if we're all dead, um, I, at least I will have cataloged it. <laughs> it's kind of funny, you know, it's kind of funny to catalog a period of time, and when we get to the end of it, we might be toast, you know. Yeah. But I, I, as, a, as a novelist, and by the way, I've always wanted to be a novelist, mm -hmm. and I decided not to go into fiction because I didn't want to write the kind of fiction that everybody was publishing, mm -hmm. um, like Michael Crichton, you know, the kind of popularized fiction. I wanted to write good fiction. Mm -hmm. And I knew if I wrote good fiction, nobody would publish me. Mm -hmm. And so I went into nonfiction for 35, 40 years in order to build a reputation. Mm -hmm. um, for, because writers get published because their books sell. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a real simple mm -hmm. paradigm. And so I had three publishers at the time when I decided to make a change. And only one of them would take it on. The other two said, forget it, you won't succeed. Uh huh. Uh huh. And that's how hard it is. It's really, really hard to make it in fiction. Yeah, um, it is. So that's, yeah. And, yeah. and who's publishing these books? 
these are all Barron Company. All Barron Company, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so I had three Hampton Roads and, and Llewellyn, and Barron Company went for it. And it's been a real learning curve for all of us because Bear has not published very much fiction. Um, uh-huh. they, have a, they have another fictional novel that's, that's coming out, I think, right now by an Italian writer. And so they're going into fiction, so it's been a learning curve for all of us. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah. and, you know, how could they refuse you after 20 years as an acquisitions editor there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, when I was doing acquisitions, I wouldn't take any fiction on, simply because my job was to succeed with each book, and I knew that we couldn't succeed with it. Mm-hmm. So this is a real big step for Bearer. And, like, by the way, one of the things that goes on with fiction is you don't get reviewed anywhere unless you have an agent. Right. The agents get all the reviews for the writers, mm-hmm. and I don't have an agent. Never had an agent. I've always just dealt directly with people because I don't want to have an agent. Uh-huh. So there's things like that going on that are really pretty hard to, to get beyond. Right. If I if I make it, and we'll see if I do, it'll because my it'll be because my fans really push it and tell all their friends, and gradually it catches on, which right. is the way that a lot of books succeed, of course. Right. Right. Well, and and books that are uh, in this genre, you know, they're, it's they're very very popular if people can really um you know latch onto the books and start reading them i mean there are a lot of people that are very interested in in contemporary fiction around these issues i mean i i see it all the time so uh i wish yeah. you i wish you a lot of success with this book these trilogies so well, uh, thanks and then what's happening of course is we have what we call content fiction now like, uh-huh. like dan brown yeah and so we've had enough people who have made breakthroughs with serious content fiction, whether it's historical or whether it's topical, that we've got where the readers are building up. Because, you know, something just happens with fiction that allows you to remember things that are so hard to remember otherwise. And maybe it's because you see an issue or the world through the through the eyes of a character that you like. Yeah. I'm not quite sure it's, it's like that, but don't you agree with me that, yeah. that fiction just sticks with you? Yeah, and I think it has to do with how, like you said, when you open up uh, when you open, uh, really go into good fiction, you're really caught in the story, and you really start caring about the characters, and and through that caring of the characters, then then you know they the story keeps going through in your mind over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so. and maybe our memory imprint is better if it's emotional as well as intellectual, possibly. Uh-huh. Um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's the author. Like, like for example, the character in the trilogy. All these characters, by the way, go through all three. So if you make a commitment to getting to know them in the first book, then you're going to have a lot more time to spend with them. Uh-huh. And the people who did read Ruby Crystal were just dying for Aquarian Age to come because uh-huh. they wanted to see, you know, what was going to happen with these characters. Uh-huh. But one of the characters that I really, really love is Armando Pierleoni, uh-huh. who in the first book is a very dark character mm-hmm. and my daughter Liz who's the Ill- by the way it's our, the illustrator for this trilogy is Liz Clow oh. and this is my own yeah this is my only daughter and so she and I have been really locked in together which is lots of fun yeah. and um, when she heard about Armando Pierleoni she, she got honest with me and she said you know mom you're a really nice moral good person which is true okay <laughs> and so she said but you need this character to be really bad. And so she said, Mom, she said, I don't care what you do, make Armando really bad. <laughs> so, so I did. 
And then what's fun is he's being redeemed in the second and third book. He's, mm-hmm. he's kind of being redeemed in the second book, kind of managing to get along emotionally pretty well in his marriage and stuff. But in the third book, he's going to be transcendent. Mm-hmm. So I really couldn't, you know, I couldn't get to that transcendent level without getting into the dark side. Mm-hmm. So see, good example of one of the characters that I like, and I suppose people really remember this character because I put so much uh, feeling into him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> How fun. Wow. Well, I'm, I can't wait to talk more about this. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. I'm with uh, Barbara Han Clow, who is a ceremonial teacher, the author of 15 nonfiction books, and she's just releasing, uh, well, she's been releasing uh, her trilogy, which is our Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, the second book, Revelations of the Aquarian Age, and then she has a third book that will be coming out in a couple of years. So uh, right now she's looking at the Revelations of the Aquarian Age. So um, we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Robin White-Turtle-Lisney, and I'm glad that you're listening to my show, Evolve. I wanted to let you know about a new book that I have called Mosaic, New and Collected Poems. It's a, a volume of 30 years of poetry uh, that I'm very excited about, and it's being published by Bluebone Books. Uh, in addition to that, I also have Dancing Up the Moon, uh, Living a Sacred Life. Uh, more recent books are Heart Path, Heart Path Handbook, and Poems for the Lost Deer. All of these books, uh, the last three books, are published by Blue Bone Books. I'm also an energy medicine practitioner, and I am a psychic and a medium. And I've been a radio host on Evolve for a number of years, about five years, where I interview authors on the cutting edge of change, authors who are uh, writing innovative things, authors who are exploring uh, new consciousness, and also bringing old traditions back into the current time to help us uh, at this time of uh, the world. And now we'll go back to the show. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Lisney. The show is Evolve, and my special guest today is Barbara Han Clow, who's internationally acclaimed ceremonial teacher and the author of 15 nonfiction books, such as The Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awakening the Planetary Mind and the Mayan Code. She was the acquisitions editor for Bear and Company for 20 years from 83 to 2000, and now she's writing fiction. The first book in her trilogy is Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, which came out in 2015. And now her second book, Revelations of the Aquarian Age 2018, has just been released. Her website is handcloud2012.com. And you're going to be presenting, Barbara, at the um, uh, East West Bookshop uh, on March 28th from 7.30 to 9 uh, or 9.30 or so. And uh, it's at 324 Castro Street in Mountain View. And their website is eastwestbooks.org. Um, and uh, if people want to see her in person and experience this book and learn about the trilogy, I highly recommend her talk that night. It's a Wednesday night, March 28th. Uh, starting at 7.30. So, welcome back <laughs> to the show. <laughs> and uh, we're going to uh, launch off. I had a question about how this new book is revealing the role of women 
uh, in this trilogy because that's part of what's happening right now is that women are rising and uh, women need to take their power. And uh, so how is that reflected in your book? Well, um, I didn't go after the, the Harry Harvey Weinstein issue um, because I went through after priestly sexual abuse in the first book. But what's going on with the, the female characters is there's three um, very, very intelligent, very powerful women, um, and one of them has has some pretty is, pretty big issues with sexual abuse that she's dealing with. So I'm not dealing with it as a contemporary issue, I'm dealing with it in this trilogy more as a background psychological issue. Mm -hmm. And in in my opinion, um, issues of of feminine power and abuse are always an issue for women. It's certainly been a theme for us our whole lives. So it's treated more through their characterization than it is as a topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there, and also we have three generations in this book. We have older women and we have women basically in their 30s and early 40s and then we also have a young child. Mm-hmm. So I'm also looking at generations and uh-huh. feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that in general is such a an important topic uh right now. It's so prevalent especially with the Oscars just having gone on recently. Um and and all of the uh, sexual abuse information that is coming out and, you know, redrawing boundaries and so on. So um, I'm glad that you have that. Of course, you'd have to have it because that's what part of this new age is all about, the Aquarian age. Yeah, and then from a topical point of view, um, the women in the book, a few of them, are really working with the issue of um, sacred sexuality Mm -hmm. and dealing with the fact that when women are abused, as most many, many women have been, that the real importance of sex for women has basically kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm dealing with the issue of high-risk gamos, which is sacred sexuality. I'm also dealing with the issue of sexual oppression within the church. So what I'm really going after, I'm actually, this is, I, I don't know if you've read the book all the way through, because we got, we connected up pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but I'm actually dealing with a lot of sexuality in this novel, but it's just novels, It's but it's not pretty much from the contemporary topical point of view, because from my point of view, it's obvious what's been going on. I haven't seen a single thing going on that I didn't predict years ago. The wonderful thing about our moment in time is finally the truth is coming out. And especially issues like the the female athletes. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the issue of the um, female athletes is on the level of of priestly sexual abuse in the church as far as I'm concerned. And in the first book, that comes up through through, uh, the foot the football coach, I forget his name right now, it football coach, Jerry Sandusky. Oh, wow. And it comes it comes up in the first book. But any time you have an institution like a church or a sports training institution where children are taught to trust their doctor and trust their trainer, and then when these lines are crossed, it's just a critical, critical importance. So as far as I'm concerned, what happened with the... Um, the doctor who was dealing with the, you know, the children and the right. girls, especially training in um, athletics, is that it's, it's very much similar to what goes on when a priest becomes a predator. Right, right. right. And so, so deeper than this, Robin, what I'm really after in this trilogy is how does evil get into our world? Right. What, 
I'm after the source of evil, how evil imprints us psychologically. Mm. And I'm really, really, ta- I've really taken the tiger by the tail here. Mm. Um, but I think it's something that we need to look at now. Mm-hmm. Because in, in my case, I've written about sexual abuse for years because I was abused when I was a small child. So mm-hmm. this has been a theme in my work for years. And a lot of people have always said that I have a lot of courage. And it's only now, to tell you the truth, that people are coming out as strongly as I actually did 35, 40 years ago mm-hmm. about the real truth here. Mm-hmm. So what fascinates me at this point is that when I watch the abusers, and, and television, um, from one point of view, is a really interesting tool that we have because we get a chance to watch people's faces and watch mm-hmm. people's body language. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, with some of these really, really intense abusers, if I watch them really closely, I don't really think they know. I don't really think they know what they did. Yeah. I honestly think that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, what I'm after is. What is that element in reality that creates that kind of, um, you know, you could say possession of a person to the point where they become robotic and carry out actions that they're actually really not aware of? So so I'm going after some really deep levels on this one. Because I think if we don't understand how it works, Mm -hmm. I don't really think we're going to get to the bottom of how to get rid of it. I could I completely agree. I I think that also that a lot of abusers have been abused themselves, and they're just parroting or or acting out uh, what happened to them, uh, and, yeah, and that's yeah. that's been documented. Yeah, they're, you know. they're thrown back into a mind trauma level right. where they're almost not conscious, and so that's that's what I'm after because I think that we now this has gone on well. We're going back into some of my other works. Um, I wrote a book called Catastrophobia that came out in 2001, which has now been retitled Awakening the Planetary Mind. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I'm going after a series of cataclysms that occurred around 11 or 12,000 years ago that made us into a multi-traumatized species. Mm -hmm. And I actually have theorized that it's the survival from the cataclysms was historically is about maybe 9,000 BC to up to maybe five, 6,000 BC. There's like three or 4,000 years of survivalism after these cataclysms where people were um, producing children by their own daughters just to keep the, the species going. Mm. Um, people, there was a lot of cannibalism. There was a lot of terrible, terrible trauma. And I actually think that we've come to the point now, as we move into the age of Aquarius, where we're in the middle of a huge healing crisis that mm-hmm. involves clearing up past memories of this, these cataclysms mm-hmm. that are affecting our psyche at this time. Mm-hmm. And I've been a teacher about the idea that we are a multi-traumatized species that is waking up now. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that the best place that we can see how that's working is in the various abuse issues that are coming up at this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree so with you. It's deep stuff. You know, so then, then, then what goes on in the trilogy is a few of the characters, particularly um, Claudia Tagliati, an Italian woman, um, where some of the characters are really savvy about this stuff, and they're actually able to talk about it on a deep level. So she ends up partnering 
with the Jungian analyst, Lorenzo Giannini. And then, since Jungians are so exquisitely trained to go after the dark side, then mm-hmm. we start getting some real revelations about what's happening here psychologically. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Wow, you really dive into the the big issues of our time. <laughs> yeah, my, and my books, for some people, my books are just too much. Mm-hmm. And so what I always do is I always have a hot first chapter where it makes it really clear what you're getting into. And then I, people tell me years later, uh-oh, I picked it up and I read five or six pages and I just put it away. But then it burns on their shelf and a couple of years later when they're ready for it, they go for it. Uh-huh. You know, because I'm not a light, I'm definitely not a lightweight in terms of going <laughs> after difficult issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think these things have to be exposed. I mean, as, as a healer, you know, you cannot heal what you cannot see. So you have to get down into what is being covered up or, or not uh, brought to consciousness so that we can then yeah, right. uh, expose it like like any kind of a wound, a boil. You have to lance it before you can, you know, get the infection out and then clean it up and heal it. So, That's right. uh, so I think that, it, and then once the healing takes place, the scar tissue is stronger than the surrounding tissue. So, yeah. uh, you know, then that becomes a part of our strength and our our understanding of, uh, of who we are. And, and also it becomes something that we don't have to go back into again. So uh-huh. I think, I think the yeah. healing, I see that the healing that people do today on themselves or with a therapist or with an energy practitioner like myself, then, that then those, uh, those heal, that healing then is actually healing the entire species if the yes. the more people go into those issues, then we're we're healing on a on a very big level, uh, the entire yeah. species. And I, I agree with I couldn't agree with you more about the traumatized culture that we are still coming out of that trauma of the last several centuries. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think if we realize first of all, the only way to heal anything is to heal it in ourselves. Right. If, if it's in there lurking, it's going to cause trouble. Right. But then I think. We realize that when we heal something, it's also collective healing. This is a very powerful, right. powerful, and um, there are more. We're seeing more and more signs of people who are starting to function on a collective level um, with some power again. Like, for example, the kids um, after the shooting in Park in Parkland, Florida, who, who just they're just not going to they're not going to put up with this anymore. They're not mm-hmm. going to go to school mm-hmm. and have to be afraid that they're going to get um, cut down by an assault rifle. Right. And so as the collective mind becomes keep more healed, then what happens is people start to take on their power, and then they start to find ways to eliminate these kinds of kinds of uh, behavior. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I think it's so important uh, that we're addressing this, and that you're addressing this in your books. I think it's just really critical to the healing of the age, really. Um, and and it has it has to do with how we see women and the feminine in within the human species, which uh, you know seeing women and and the feminine in men and women as being something uh, uh, valuable and and needed to be supported <clears throat> is is something so critical to the transformation of this age. It's, it's really really critical. Yeah, and like speaking of women, I think that um, we're going to come to a point very soon now where mothers are not going to be willing to send their children to school. 
Mm-hmm. Unless this gets straightened out. I know I would really have trouble at, at this. I've raised four children and they're all grown up. But I would really find it hard to put my child in danger mm-hmm. or put my child in a school where there's where there's um, guards all over the place. And, and then, of course, let's arm the teachers, right? Right. And then the children, <laughs> we'll send the children off to learn from the teachers as their guides. And then the, guides are, the, the teachers are carrying guns. Mm-hmm. So I think that the women are going to, the mothers, I think, are going to really rise. It's not just going to be those kids. It's going to be the mothers, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Wow. Well, this is such a wonderful, interesting conversation about your books, Barbara. Um, We're going to take another little break. Uh, I'm with Barbara Han Clow, internationally acclaimed ceremonial teacher and author of 15 nonfiction books. Her, Her latest book is part of a trilogy and it's called Revelations of the Aquarian Age. It, it's come out just a few weeks ago. And uh, the first one was Revelations of the Ruby Crystal. So we'll be right back. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture with your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle listening. The show is Evolve, and I'm with Barbara Han Clow. Uh, Barbara has written many books, 15 books of nonfiction, uh, Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awakening the Planetary Mind, and the Mayan Code, as well as now she's writing fiction. And the first book uh, of a trilogy, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, came out in 2015. The second one, Revelations of the Aquarian Age, has just come out. So uh, welcome back, Barbara. (laughs) Hi, Robin. <laughs> Hi. So, and you're going to be presenting in Mountain View on March 28th uh, from 7.30 to 9, which is a class, so people can check at the East West Bookshop, uh, eastwestbooks.org uh, website to find out more about that. Um, uh, so, yeah, so we were talking before the break about women in this book and how women are influencing the changes into the Aquarian age. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and the and the the dimensions of healing that you've talked about in your other books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, as we move into the Aquarian age, um, we're we're coming into an age which is in deep relation to the age of Taurus, which is actually um, 2200 to forty four hundred BC. So that's like 6,000 years ago. And one of the confusing things about the Great Ages is they go backwards. In other words, it goes from Taurus, 4,000 to 2,000 B.C., and then Aries, 2,000 B.C. to zero. And now we're, we've been in Pisces for 2,000 years, and we're moving into Aquarius. So mm-hmm. that right there is confusing for people, but it's just how it is. Mm-hmm. So in order to understand some of the elements that are going to come up during the age of Aquarius, we go back to the age of Taurus, and, that, and that's just the way things work um, astrologically. And when we go back to the age of Taurus, and then the age before that, the age of Cancer, that was the time of the goddess. And that was a time when women were revered and were considered to be spiritual teachers and were considered to be key 
Empress of, of the Earth herself. Mm-hmm. And so now as we go into the age of Aquarius, as we come into this next level, we've been through the age of Aries, which was the age of warfare, organized warfare. We've been through the age of Pisces, which was the age of organized religion. And so what happened historically was as soon as the age of Aries um, began, which is around 2200 BC, we begin the age of organized um, warfare, and the goddess is unseated from her power. And she has been out of her power in culture pretty much totally from uh, 2000 BC until now. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is after the age of Aries and the development of organized warfare, then through the age of organized religion, we had wars um, for God. So the age of organized religion has been 2,000 years of fighting each other over whose God is the real God. Mm -hmm. And so now as we go into Aquarius, the resolution for the elements of of warfare and organized religion and wars for God is going to be the revival and respect (coughs) for the feminine and for the goddess herself. Mm -hmm. And so the way I'm treating it, so many ways to go at that because the way it's going to happen isn't going to be the way it happened before because we're moving through evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I'm treating it is through is by means of sacred sexuality because mm-hmm. the real key to the goddess is the power of sexuality, the power of birthing, and the power of, of women um, connecting to men. This is a very powerful force. And so that's the main way that I'm approaching it in the trilogy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's fascinating. So then you talked about the nine dimensions of healing that are in your former books. Are you reading that in? Yeah, a real key, I've written, I've been in so many fields. I've been in biology and Mayan and, you know, you can see what a range I've been writing in. And, but the big piece of my um, work is on multidimensional consciousness. And this came in through the Pleiadian agenda and then the um, alchemy of nine dimensions, which is a scientific analysis of the Pleiadian agenda. Mm-hmm. And what goes on in those two books is the issue of nine dimensional consciousness, which is in complete synchronicity with string theory, mm. as was developed by Edward Witten back in 1995. In fact, the Pleiadian agenda, which was a channel book, came in exactly during the same time as when Edward Witten um, did the mathematical uh, calculations for string theory. Mm. So lurking behind everything is the issue of science and quantum mechanics and string theory, which I know throws most people for a loop. But as we go into the age of Aquarius, what's happening is we're going into it, and and as we're in it, we're seeing the awakening of quantum consciousness and the awakening of multidimensional consciousness. Mm -hmm. So after developing those issues deeply in in Pleiadian Agenda and Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, um, what goes on in the trilogy is a couple of the characters are experts on multidimensional consciousness. So all issues that come up in the book, in in this trilogy, are actually functioning um, on a multidimensional level. Mm -hmm. And regarding feminism and regarding women's issues, this is actually a very critical theme for me, because in my work, the third dimension, 
is linear space and time. Uh-huh. So you and I are on the phone together on, on Monday. You know, that's 3D. Yeah. My, my model is different than Einstein's. Uh-huh. And so then the fourth dimension is the collective mind. Mm-hmm. It's a non-physical, emotional, mental, collective zone. Mm-hmm. And when we get into the collective mind, we get into the archetypes, Jungian archetypes, for example, mm-hmm. and we also get into the time cycles. So as we're going through these great ages and the changes that are occurring, what's happening is the collective mind is changing according to these lenses of time, if you follow me. Yeah. And, yeah, and so what goes on in the collective mind regarding feminism is all these issues of uncovering the truth and exposing what has been done to women and exposing what women need and what women demand. And so all the way through my work, there's always this issue of the collective affecting the third dimension mm-hmm. because none of us can get away with away from it we're all plugged into it yeah. it affects us and then most importantly the collective mind or the archetypal realm is what connects us yeah. so we wouldn't be connected if we weren't in touch with that realm mm-hmm. but what i find is observing reality from both a third dimensional perspective and then a fourth dimensional perspective gives you a huge much, it gives you much more information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we are tied together collectively. I mean, if you uh, talk about uh, energy medicine, for instance, which is you know kind of my field, you are actually connecting with the grid work. I mean, that's how we do psychic readings. You connect with the, the collective grid work so that you can then travel to the person that whose name is being asked about, and you can you know, perceive things. So that fourth dimension is the collective and it also is a reflection of the person you're talking about or talking to in the in the sessions. So so I totally get what you're talking about. It's like you connect in the fourth dimension you're actually connecting with the larger grid work of our um of our consciousness and our yeah, and then in my systems, that grid work, that's the, all those upper levels above that fourth dimension mm-hmm. are the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth dimension, which, of course, I, I explain and work on. Mm-hmm. But back to the issue of the women's issue, um, <clears throat> what happen, has been happening, it's been so fascinating to watch it, um, is that once one woman speaks up, then all the other women connected with it go, Aha. Uh-huh. And this is this is very fascinating because there's a curious block on being able to expose something and tell the truth about it because people feel like they're all alone. And then their abusers, of course, convince them that it's just them. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're locked in and they're feeling like they're alone. And then somebody speaks up and we just have to have so much admiration for those women, including myself. I, I wrote about it back in 1986 and I had tomatoes coming at me. Wow. But the courage it takes because once one woman speaks up then more speak up and more speak up and more speak up and then it's going to be impossible to do this stuff right 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 and and then that trial that that female judge created for the the female athletes who were abused by the doctor was so incredible to to be able to see on television to be able to see those girls telling what happened to them it was mind-boggling yeah yeah. really powerful really powerful well and it really rips the old fabric of the status quo apart, which 
yeah. I think is really the, so important. And it, and it went on for days. It wasn't just yeah. a, a, you know. Yeah. And it's going to ripple all through everything because now it's rippling through Michigan State University. It's rippling through the athletic organizations. It's rippling through the issue of what our doctor's doing. In other words, it's going right in um, and just shredding, as you said. You put it so well. Because when we come to the end of an age, the stuff that's dysfunctional gets shredded. Yeah. And then the new stuff starts, there's space for it. If it's th- sitting there, there's no room for anything new. There's yeah. no room for a female athlete who can literally be absolutely safe and powerful in, in her career. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. And, it's, and this is such exposure of, you know, what we didn't really know was going on. I mean, none of us knew if we had known that these poor children were getting abused, you know, we would have stopped it a long time ago, but it was all like a conspiracy to keep it quiet. So yeah, um, yeah. that, that conspiracy is part of that fabric that has to get shredded. So uh, I'm very happy to see it. The dark side functions as long as there's secrecy. Yeah. So at this point in time, as you move into the age of Aquarius, which is known to be an age of light, um, what happens is, of course, the, the, sec- the secrecy has to go away and the darkness has to be exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really painful because everybody's connected to it and mm-hmm. everybody's own dark side and own pain is connected with this. Mm-hmm. So we're in the middle of this just huge collective healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so in the third novel, which I'm writing right now, um, it'll take me a couple of years to write it. It'll come out in 2020. Of course, I'm the one who decided to track ordinary reality for 2011 to 2020. Yeah. Well, imagine trying to track Donald Trump. Right, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, if ever, if ever I sat down at my writing table and said, I'm the biggest fool on the planet for taking it's you know it's that's how I've been feeling, but then I came up with a central insight about Donald Trump, mm. and which is Donald Trump. I'm not saying that he's a, a lifetime um, that St. Paul is a past life of his. I'm not saying that at all. But Donald Trump is is playing the role that St. Paul played back back around the time of Christ, two thousand years ago. Mm. And Paul just came along and said, just throw out circumcision, just get rid of the dietary stuff, just get rid of all the stuff and let's just get the new religion going, you know? Mm-hmm. And so even though people may not like Donald Trump, and I'm sure there's plenty who don't, um, he is playing that role of shredding and throwing out the old stuff. Yeah. And it's just bizarre to watch it. I mean, it's so bizarre. I mean, I don't, I only allow myself to watch the media for 15 minutes a day yeah. because I think, I think it's extremely toxic and I only watch it with consciousness um but it's unbelievable it is it is it's it's another circus (laughs) when you think of him that way you know when you think of him as one of those people at the change of the ages who's trashing all the old stuff it starts to make more sense doesn't it right right yeah and my guy my guides continually tell me just send love to the white house you know send love because that's going to catalyze the change even faster so hopefully Uh uh it will either help him move on or or whatever, <laughs> transform. And that's actually a central insight on your part, regarding because I know you don't know my dimensional work, but mm-hmm. the fifth dimension is is the dimension of the heart mm-hmm. in, in my system. Mm-hmm. And so the fourth dimension 
is all polarized. It's all dark and light. It's evil or good and, you know, positive and negative. That's just the way the fourth dimension functions, the archetypal realm. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes unitized in the heart, in the fifth dimension. And so you're absolutely right. One of the antidotes to this is to send love to the White House. And, and the White House really needs love because the White House is an incredible historical creation with, with the old paintings and the art and all the things connected with the last 200 years, excuse me, of American history. Yeah. And now we, now we have a guy in there who can't wait to get out of there because he hates the place that he wants to go over to his opulent apartment in Trump Tower. Yeah. So the White House needs love <laughs> just yeah. as a place of history. Yeah, yeah, and it's the it's a it's a seat of uh, uh, amassing power. So yeah. now that we have a power monger in the in the White House that's that's you know taking it to the nth degree. <laughs> so, it's kind of a it's it, if it wasn't so sad, it'd be comical here. So, but it really needs love, or otherwise it's not going to be there. Like the like the Brits, or I guess no, it's, excuse me, the Canadians burned it down. I think in twenty in. Uh, See, 1812 or 1810, something like that. Oh. And there it sits. It's been there for 200 years, and boy, it needs love. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, yeah, I, I just want to wrap up a little bit about your background because um, on the break we talked about uh, how you're part Cherokee, and uh -huh. I, I think it's so fascinating to me, you know, the Native American tradition has continued to honor women uh, in many in many parts of Native America, not not all of the tribes, but I would say ninety percent of the tribes I know of, including in the Southwest and up in um, in the middle middle part of the country, the Lakotas, the uh, Ojibwe, they have a reverence for women that they've maintained or that they continue to have, and you were trained in that is that right you you had a yeah. training in the Cherokee yeah. tradition and yeah. I, I know that's true for Cherokee to the Cherokee tribe as well that they revered women um so can you talk a little bit about that because I, I feel like uh it's a really fascinating part of your background that people might not know well my grandfather hand was part Cherokee, was half Cherokee, his mother was full blood. And so then he had four children, and one of them was my father. Actually, there were five children, and one of them was my father. And so in the Cherokee tradition, whenever a person is a record keeper, a record keeper is a keeper of wisdom. And when a person is a record keeper, they pass the knowledge like a man passes to a woman and then a woman passes to a man. It goes back and forth between men and male and female. And the reason for that is that in order to keep the records balanced, we need the male and the female perspective. Oh. So my grandfather obviously was male and he had three daughters and he could have passed the teachings to one of them. But he knew that his particular um, Cherokee tradition, which is about catastrophism and the issue of being a multi-traumatized species, he knew that his daughter would not be, any, any one of his daughters, would not be in a position to carry the teaching into the culture because of the timing of the way science was operating. And so he knew that his granddaughter, 
would be the right age to bring in this particular record teaching, which has to do with the issue of cataclysms 12,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and then the healing that we're going through now. Mm-hmm. So he passed the tradition to me, which really upset actually one of his daughters, who was a very close aunt of mine. She was always jealous that it had been given to me, but she could see the wisdom of that. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather taught me about the Cherokee record um, teachings that the, the ages of time from when I was three until I was 17, mm-hmm. and then he died. Mm-hmm. And it made life pretty tough for me, to tell you the truth, Robin, because when I went to school and, and, was, and confronted typical American um, education, what I was hearing in school didn't fit with what my grandfather said at all. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to keep my mouth shut, and all the way through my education, I just wrote the correct information in the margins of my books mm-hmm. um, next to the incorrect version. And needless to say, I've got an interesting library. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then as I hit, actually, right around the point that I was in Matthew Fox's program, I went into Matthew Fox's program when I was 40 in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And just at that point, the science was starting to verify things my grandfather was saying. It started with Emmanuel Velikovsky's um, information, and then it went into science in the 90s and into the 2000s, where we now know, everybody now knows, there was a series of great cataclysms um, uh, 12 to 14,000 years ago that affected our planet. But that wasn't known when I, when I was taught that. Uh-huh. So basically that's the first. So what my grandfather did is he gave me a legacy. And so that legacy, I published that in Catastrophobia in 2001. Catastrophobia means fear of cataclysms. Mm-hmm. And the basic gist of the book was that we're multi-traumatized because we're going around afraid the sky's going to fall in, right. in, in 10 minutes, you know, that thing. Yeah. And so then it was republished. As I said, it's now out as awakening the planetary mind. Mm-hmm. So that particular branch of what I was taught, it, that's a segment of my work. Uh-huh, uh-huh fascinating well and it's fast it's fascinating on so many levels because um i always have felt that the native teachings of how they honor women uh and how they balance the feminine and masculine in many many tribes is part of the new uh new age that's going to help us reclaim it and uh certainly has been true for me going through women's ceremonies and Sundance and Gichida's, uh, you know, different ceremonies of different tribes, uh, I have felt the connection uh, with the honoring of the feminine. And, uh, it, and it, it makes such a huge difference when we honor ourselves, our choices and our bodies. And uh, it, it, it just, uh, your whole attitude about yourself transforms. And then you can pass that on to all these young people that, you know, don't have that education or don't have that interest or mindset. You know, they, they might have the interest, right. but they don't don't have the mindset for it. So, right, right. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Barbara Hancock, I'm so delighted to talk to you, and um, uh, I'm going to uh, sign off now. So I've been talking okay. to Bar- Barbara Hancock. She's an internationally acclaimed ceremonial teacher and author of 15 nonfiction books. Um, you may know them, The Pleiadian Agenda, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, Awakening the Planetary Mind, and the Mayan Code. Um, she was the acquisitions editor for Bear and Company, and she's now writing fiction. Um, she has a new trilogy, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, 
And the second book, which is just coming out, Revelations of the Aquarian Age, and it's just been released. Um, her website is Hand Clow. It's H A N D C L O W 2012.com. And uh, she's going to be presenting at uh, East West Bookshop in Mountain View, California on March 28th from 7.30 to 9.30. And uh, it's at 324 Castro in Mountain View. You can look that up if you'd like to attend at eastwestbooks.org. Uh, so, um, Barbara, it's been a, just a delight having you. Thank you so much uh, for the interview. And I hope this brings in lots of people to, to your books. Okay, yeah, thanks for having me, and I'd also like to say that Jerry Clow, my husband, is also teaching with me because a lot of people love Jerry, so they don't have to worry about whether he's there or not. Okay, great. <laughs> so great. Thank you. You bet, you bet. So so nice to talk to you. This is Robin White Turtle Lisney, and the show is Evolve. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carasella. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lisney. Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.